Did y'all think I grew from last week just because I wasn't here? Hmm. If you have a copy of the Bible, let's look this morning at Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. This morning we'll be looking at the first 15 verses of this chapter. We're getting close to the end. I think we have three sermons left. And are looking at the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to read this to you. It should be on the screen behind me. Uh, if you don't have a copy of your own. Um, if you would like a copy of the Bible your own because you don't have one, I'd be more than happy to provide one for you. I love giving away Bibles. So just let me know afterwards if you need a Bible. I'd love to give you one. Mark chapter 15. I'll read the first 15 verses. And remember, this really is God's Word to you. You can bank on it. You can count on it. You can put your whole mind in it. You can put your whole life on it. Everything that I'm going to read to you is true. It's from God. You will not ever, you will never read another book like the Bible. Never. Mark 15 says this. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. And the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank You that we do have the privilege of knowing that this is where You change the conversation for us for the week and for eternity. This is where we gather to hear from You. We thank You, Lord, that we can sing together. That we don't come here expecting someone to sing for us but that we can unite our voices together in praising You. We thank You that we can acknowledge before You our sin, in our thoughts, and in our words, and in our deeds. 
We thank you that we can even say to you that oftentimes we obey because we want you to do what we want. And we thank you that we can hear your pardon. That you do love us in Christ. That you have forgiven us in Him. And Lord, we thank you for the time that you've given us to look at this gospel together. All through Mark's gospel, we thank you for the time you've given us to do that. Because without you giving us breath, we wouldn't be alive. But you have sustained us, and you have been feeding us, and we thank you. And Lord, we ask in particular that as we look at this chapter today in the first 15 verses in this account, not only, Lord, would you begin the conversation and change the conversation to focus our lives on Christ, but Lord, would you, would you make our lives to revolve around Christ? That the conversation wouldn't just start although if it needs to start, Lord, start it. But that it would really change us so that our lives revolve around the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, there's a lot of you here in Mark 15. Help us to try to take it in. Holy Spirit, open up our hearts. Act on us. Point us to the Savior. We pray this, Lord, that you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, might receive all glory. That you might get every credit acknowledgement that our boast would be in you and in you alone. Amen. As we look at Mark chapter 15, I want you to understand something about this particular passage, and it's this. What I've read to you this morning, what we're going to look at this morning, is as important as it gets. It's as important as it gets. As a matter of fact, all the cards are on the table. What I mean by that is, in this passage, God has laid out all of his cards for you to see. He's laid them all out. As a matter of fact, what we understand from this passage, what I want you to take home from this passage, is that your judge was condemned. God's cards are on the table. What God is, 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 push, is putting on our plate and pushing that plate right into us is that your judge was condemned. His cards are on the table. And He's compelling us to put our cards on the table. God is saying, what do you really think has to happen in order for me to accept you? What do you really think in your heart of hearts about acceptance? What does it mean? If you're going to put your cards on the table, what does it mean right now for you to be accepted by God? How does that happen? And how in the world can you live as if you were accepted. Don't you think it might change our lives? Don't you think it might change our lives if we really understood how God accepts us and if we live by that? Don't you think that might change our lives? Well, what if this morning you could see it? What if you could see acceptance? 
Well, this morning we're going to look at that. And I hope that you can see it. So let's take a look. Here's the story. Don't forget, prior to chapter 15, that the Lord Jesus himself was examined by the Jewish Supreme Court, also known as the Sanhedrin. Jesus was examined by the Sanhedrin, and they found him guilty of blasphemy because he claimed that he was God. Yes, it's true. You might have lots of professors tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. You might have lots of other articles that you've read or, or just out there in the society in which we live in which people say that Jesus never claimed to be God. But I want you to understand, from the Bible's perspective, the Jews wanted to kill Jesus for the very reason that he claimed to be God. So, the Jews knew that even though they found him guilty of blaspheming, guilty of blaspheming by claiming that he was God, they knew that they were not able to carry out the penalty that that type of guilt deserved. And at this point in history, the Jews were under Roman rule. And that means that the Jews had to take Jesus to a Roman court in order for the verdict that they rendered to be examined and carried out, possibly. So those representatives from the Sanhedrin, they brought Jesus to this guy named Pilate. That's where we pick up the story. Don't forget about what's happened to this point, but they bring him to Pilate. Pilate was kind of the equivalent of his title anyway, is at least equivalent to our idea of a governor. Pilate was able to carry out punishments and verdicts. He was able to pronounce them and see that they were carried out. He had that authority. So here we have Jesus, as chapter 15 begins, at the governor's mansion. He's there with Pilate, and Pilate asks Jesus three questions. The first question you find in verse 2, you can look back at it if you want to. He asks Jesus straight away, are you the king of the Jews? The Sanhedrin bring Jesus to Pilate. Pilate says, okay, Jesus, verse 2, are you the king of the Jews? Are you, what he's getting at with that question is this, are you leading some type of political movement? Are you, are you trying to overthrow powers that be politically? Is your plan, Jesus, to overthrow the current political establishment? Is that what you're doing? Is that what you're about? Because that seems to be, at least in Pilate's mind, that's how Pilate interpreted the Jewish accusation. Isn't Jesus' answer kind of funny? He says to them, you have said so. Isn't that interesting? You realize that when he was examined by Caiaphas and by others, and they asked him, are you the Messiah? That he is boldly clear, isn't he? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of the Blessed? Jesus says, yes. And as a matter of fact, I am coming again. I am coming with power and authority on the clouds. I'm coming back. It was a bold answer. I hope you remember that. Because it was a very moving moment. But here you have Jesus has asked this question, and he says, you have said so. It's kind of like this hesitation. 
Jesus isn't flat out denying it, nor is he wholeheartedly accepting it, is he? You have said so. In other words, Jesus kind of says yes and no. You like those kind of answers? You ever use those with your spouse or your friends? They ask you something that they're real serious about, and you say, well, kind of. Yes and no. Yeah, sometimes that doesn't work too well, does it? At other times, it opens up the door for more communication and more discussion, doesn't it? Seems like the older I get, the more I think that saying yes and no at the same time is important. Maybe you don't feel that way, but I certainly do. Jesus says yes and no. You see, maybe I think what Jesus is getting at here is that he's saying yes, but I don't necessarily define things in the same way that you do. I agree with you partially, but the way that I define politics and the way that I define what I'm doing might be quite a bit different from how you look at the world and how you look at what's going on. You see, this is one of those great truths of Christianity is that Jesus wants us to understand that political stuff is not to be ignored on one hand. He doesn't want us to withdraw from everything. Nor does He want us as His people to think that politics are what is going to make our country right. Jesus doesn't want us to withdraw. He doesn't want us to ignore. He doesn't want us to have our head in the sand. Nor does He want to put all of our eggs in that basket. He doesn't want us to think that politics is even close to the primary thing that He was doing. It's not even close to the primary thing that He was about. That's why you might remember this conversation among others in which Jesus was asked about, well, should we pay taxes? Should we do this? And he says, well, you know, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And render to God the things that are God's. As one man has said, it's kind of like Jesus was saying, well, look at the coin. It kind of has Caesar's inscription on it. So sure, give him the money that has his inscription on it. But you have the image of God on you. So therefore, yes, it's not wrong to support the governing powers. They all gain their authority from God. But don't forget that you get your identity and you bear the image of God in your body, on your body, in your soul, in your mind. You reflect God's image. So Jesus answers this, and apparently that didn't really satisfy Pilate all that much because People started talking up. Look at verse 3. They're responding. They're making all kinds of accusations. There's a lot of noise going on. So Pilate then asked him the second question. Look at verse 4. Jesus, are you going to say anything? Are you just going to sit there? Listen to this. Verse 3. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? Jesus, are you just going to stand here and not say anything at all? Are you going to give me these ambiguous answers? See, Pilate didn't really have this desire for a personal relationship with Jesus. 
what Pilate saw is that these people are trying to ramrod you. Jesus, these people are being persistent, they're stubborn, and they are trying to ram you down. They're not listening to anything. They are trying to take you out. Are you just going to stand there and do nothing? Are you not going to say anything? Are you not going to respond to these accusations? Jesus continued to not say anything. And that, and that must have, on one hand, frustrated Pilate all the more, right? Because, you know, if, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't have a personal relationship with the Son of God, then this is the way you look at life. If somebody is trying to beat you down, then where's the counterpunch? If somebody is trying to take you out, then where's your action back? If you can see that this is their agenda, then where is your positive energy to defend yourself, support yourself, and hit, hit them first? You see, that's how we often think, isn't it? Even if you do have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, don't, don't you struggle with the desire to punch back? To punch first? I'm not necessarily talking physically. Please don't interpret me too literally. But if you know someone is verbally attacking you, don't you want to just attack back? Isn't, it, isn't that our disposition? It's one of the many ways that sin shows itself all the time. Pilate sees that this is happening to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, you've got to counterpunch. You've got to do something. You can't just keep absorbing all these. You have to defend yourself. But Jesus made no answer, and Pilate was, verse 5 tells you, amazed. He was amazed. Perhaps he had never seen anybody like this before. Perhaps he had never encountered someone in which all kinds of people were in an uproar against him. And yet he just sat there and listened and responded. But he wasn't getting into the fight. He wasn't there to try to defend himself. He wasn't there to counterpunch. And Pilate really couldn't understand that. He didn't understand what was going on. You see, Jesus was different. Jesus is different. Jesus makes this difference in our lives. That, we're, that we get to stop trying to defend ourselves all of the time. It's not just in our lives that we aren't supposed to rely on ourselves. It's that we don't need to defend ourselves all the time. As a matter of fact, the more that we realize our own sin and shortcomings in our lives, we oftentimes realize, you know what? I'm just not worth defending. In many instances, not all instances, but in many instances, we just don't need to try to defend ourselves. Sometimes we do. Hear me. Sometimes we need to defend ourselves, okay? But most of the time, we don't. We need to listen and think. Well, here's the third question that Pilate asked Jesus. It's found in verse 9. And this begins to turn the corner and come a little closer home to us. If nothing else has hit you so far. Pilate says, in effect, in verse 9, Who do you want? He's looking out of the crowd and he's saying, Who do you want? 
Who do you want? You see, every year during this time, the text tells you, every year during this time, the governor would usually release a known felon. It was a way that he could stay in good graces with the people. And the crowd came to Pilate, as the text tells you, because they wanted Pilate to let someone go. That's what verse 8 says. And behind all this, look at verse 11. The chief priests were there, obviously encouraging the crowd, obviously stirring up the people, so that the people would shout this as well. Pilate could tell, though, as verse 10 tells you, Pilate could tell that the Jews were just envious of Jesus. Did you notice that? He could tell that they were envious of Jesus, and so there wasn't any substantive charge against him. There was nothing that they could really prove. But the crowd wanted this guy named Barabbas. Barabbas is described in this as a man who is guilty of several things. One is that he was part of an insurrectionist movement. He was part of a coup of people, an enclave of people, a little militia, if you will, that probably met in secret. And their whole desire was to overthrow the political powers that be. They were trying to overthrow the Romans. And that meant that what they were doing was not just talking about it. They weren't just giving their resources to it. They were giving of their time and their energy to the point that some type of conflict happened. In the midst of the conflict that Barabbas was a part of, in this movement to overthrow the political powers that be, in the midst of that movement, Barabbas ended up killing someone, murdering them. And he was found guilty of trying to overthrow the powers that be, and he was found guilty of murdering someone. And everyone knew it. He was a known criminal. And the crowd said to Pilate, let him go, let him go. And Pilate says, well, who do you want? And they said, let Barabbas go and take Jesus. Crucify him. Twice here in Mark's account. Crucify him. Get rid of this guy. Let Barabbas go. The guy that's on death row, he's just waiting for the judge to tell him what day he is going to die. And the crowd wanted Jesus to be crucified. Well, as the text tells you, Pilate, what? He, he wanted to satisfy the crowd. He couldn't find any fault with Jesus. He could see that the Jews were envious of Jesus and what he was doing. But he wanted to satisfy the crowd. So he released Barabbas and took Jesus. Now, isn't that interesting in many ways? I mean, the Sanhedrin and all of their functions however blind they were, however wrong they were, at least you could see that they were acting on principle, right? They heard Jesus claim to be God, and immediately to them that was blasphemous, and that meant that Jesus deserved to die. Now their blind spot was they didn't want to accept Him as God, right? They were confused about what the Messiah was going to do. They didn't want to accept Jesus was this Messiah. But at least they were acting on principle however wrong their principle was informed. But Pilate? Pilate wasn't acting on any principle other than, I just 
need to keep people happy. Doesn't that go deep within us as well? Some of us are very principled people. You know that? And sometimes our principles are wrong because they're misinformed. At other times, we live our lives just to please people. That we just want to say what people want. We, we just want to say what we think people want to hear. Pilate was no different. He was nervous. He was, at some level, probably concerned. He didn't want to lose his job. So I'll just appease the crowd. So he takes Jesus, and you can read what he does to Jesus. He releases Barabbas. He takes Jesus. He handed Jesus over to be scourged. That's what the text tells you. Which, by the way, was a pretty gruesome thing. I'm sure many of you have heard about this before. But for those of you that haven't, scourging was where you take a whip. And at the end of the whip, there were these leather straps. And usually at the end of each strap was something that was tied to it, like bone or metal or stone. And when you would give someone over to be scourged, they would be whipped with that whip. And the whole purpose was to shred the skin. The whole purpose was to really rip up your body. There are all kinds of gruesome accounts of those who really were beaten so bad that their bones were exposed and all that, and we won't go down that gory road. But it's a fact. Jesus was handed over to be scourged, and they whipped Jesus with an instrument that was specifically designed to tear up his skin. Remember now, this is not a guy that Pilate found anything wrong with. And he was scourged, and he was handed over. And Barabbas was let go. You see, now let's dive a little deeper and get into the verdict. Because this really matters. This matters. I want you to think about for a moment how this whole thing was written. This matters. Mark spends about Ten chapters talking about three years of Jesus' life. Mark spends six chapters talking about one week in Jesus' life. We have been spending a month in chapter 14 and following. But for Mark, chapter 14 is one evening. You see, it's easy for us to lose sight of what's going on here and how Mark is actually slowing us down. He's wanting us to see that this really, really matters. Because technically chapter 14, verse 17 through chapter 15, verse 41 is only about 10, 12 hours. He's slowing us down on purpose. And I know that's hard for us to grasp sometimes because we only... Come together once a week and hear this. I'm not preaching this to you every day of the week to walk you through this. I just don't want you to forget it. That's not Dave advocating for us having corporate worship Sunday through Saturday. 
I'm just acknowledging this is where we are. And Mark has been intentionally slowing us down because he wants to teach us today about acceptance. He wants us to understand what's going on. Are your cards on the table yet? Because God's are. Are you thinking about acceptance? Are you thinking about what does it mean for you to be accepted before God? Are you thinking about how your life might change if you understand what acceptance with God is and in particular how that happens? Are your cards on the table yet? Because it's easy just to live your life thinking that you're going to be accepted based on who you are, what your background is, what you know, how much power you have, how much power you don't have, how much money you have, how much money you don't have. Your view of acceptance is shaped by all kinds of things, if you're honest. And do you see the text? Barabbas is a man who's guilty of everything that Jesus was accused of and more. Jesus was accused by his first question, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus, are are you going to try to overthrow the political powers? Well, not really. Kind of. Yes. Because my kingdom's bigger and better. But Barabbas is the guy that did that. He, He was actually living his life to overthrow the powers that be. He was building his own kingdom. He was willing to lie. He was willing to use his resources for to further his kingdom. He was even willing to murder. Now, you might think to yourself, well, I haven't gone that far. Sure, I get caught up in you know trying to build my own kingdom. Sure, I get caught up in thinking that, oh, I don't know. I can use all of my time and my energies to overthrow the powers that be, no matter where they are, political or non. But I haven't murdered anybody. Well, friend, let me remind you, let me remind all of us that murder is not just something that we can do physically. If you're harboring hatred in your heart for somebody, you've murdered. If you've ever lashed out at someone, you've murdered. Now, you may not feel that way, but in God's eyes, that's how He defines murder. It's not just outwardly. It's also inward. You can murder someone by the way that you act and live toward other people. The truth is, we've all murdered. The truth is, you've probably murdered this past week. Christ was guilty of nothing. Did you catch that? Barabbas was guilty of everything that Christ was accused of and more, and Christ was guilty of nothing, and yet this is the truth. Barabbas and the Lord Jesus Christ change places. They trade places. That means that Christ, who's guilty of nothing, now takes the place of Barabbas. That means that Jesus is considered a criminal. Jesus is considered convicted of a crime. Jesus is considered someone who deserves death. Jesus is placed under the law. Jesus is placed under the curse of the law, the punishment of the law. Jesus is condemned 
to die. And Barabbas? Barabbas takes the place of Jesus. And Barabbas is treated as someone who is innocent. The law looks at Barabbas and says, you are free. Barabbas now lives his life defended by the law. Barabbas now is safe. Barabbas' future is forever changed because of what happens right here. He was set free. He was said not to be not guilty. Someone took his place. Do you see how this is picturing for you? Do you see how this is showing you acceptance with God? This is the message of the Gospel. It's not that Christ was given to you as an example, and if you just follow His example and listen to His teaching and do what He did, that you will gain acceptance with God. It's not that Jesus did almost everything and that you just add your faith to it. Faith is very important. But faith doesn't get you anything other than faith receives all that Christ is. And Christ has done everything. Actually, Christ did everything for us. In trading places with us, He did everything. And we receive all that He has done. And by receiving all that the Lord Jesus has done, it's a whole lot more than just forgiveness. The message of Christianity is a whole lot more than repent of your sins and God will forgive you. The core of Christianity is really that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself not only gives you forgiveness, but He actually gives you a status and a position before God. And that status and that position is that you are righteous. That status and that position is that you are not guilty. And that forever changes how you live your life. Because now all the obedience that you have flows from the fact that Christ has made you righteous. That your righteousness is in Him. What we bring to the table is murder and insurrection and trying to build our own kingdom and being a rebel against God. And what God has done in Christ is change places so that all, of, all that we are, we are guilty. But by receiving all that Christ has done, we are forgiven and we are righteous. And Christ becomes guilty and condemned so that we won't be. There was a man that wrote a number of years ago. His name was John Bunyan. Perhaps you've heard of him, perhaps not. It doesn't really matter. And one day this realization came to him that his righteousness is in heaven. And beloved, I want you to hear this too. In no way are we minimizing the importance of obedience. We're just putting it in the proper space. 
because our righteousness is in heaven. Christ is there. And what that means is if we have received Christ, what that means for you if you have received Christ is that your standing before God can never be diminished and it can never be improved. That's the truth of the Gospel. In, the, in, in heaven, you have the exact same standing and rating as the Lord Jesus Christ right now. It cannot be diminished. And it cannot be added to. God looks at you through the work of His Son. And He sees you as righteous. He sees me as righteous. And because of that, then I can obey because of how He's accepted me. I'm not trying to obey to get God's acceptance. The acceptance has been earned and granted because of Christ and what He has done. So beloved, the good news is that your judge was condemned. So you don't have to be. And this story here in Mark 15 is enabling you to see it. It's enabling you to see that Barabbas and Jesus traded places so that you would be righteous and forgiven and have a new life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that as we've been able to look through what's going on toward the end of Jesus' life on earth, that You really do slow us down because You don't want us to miss what's happening. You want us to understand that Jesus was condemned so that we, the ones who actually are guilty, the ones who are guilty of trying to overthrow Your throne, the ones who are guilty of wanting to build our own kingdoms and live for ourselves, the ones who are guilty of murder in so many ways, you want us to see that acceptance is based on what Christ has earned. And it's not just forgiveness. It's that we actually have a standing. We have a position before You. And that we receive all of that by faith. That faith is not working our way to You. Faith is not adding something to what Christ has done. Faith is receiving the truth that Christ took our place. Lord, our lives should be changed by knowing this. It should mean that we no longer are trying to defend ourselves needlessly. It should mean that we are slow to answer. It should mean, Lord, that we will be forever grateful that You would have such incredible grace to forgive sinners like us. Lord, help us to promote Your kingdom, to live for Your kingdom, to promote life, to promote the good of our neighbor. Help us to live by Your Gospel. In Jesus' name, Amen.